Amen. What an opportunity to serve and worship a God that is constantly plotting for our good and for His glory. Always. He is one who reigns. He never, he never relinquishes control to anybody else. For the course of history, for the course of salvation, He is always in control and He always reigns. Always. That's one of the reasons we come at this time of the year moving into the Christmas season, and we think about how he provides for us salvation through this one called Jesus. But we knew, we know, that God had, he had been working toward this plan since the foundation of the world itself. God knew exactly what he was going to do in bringing about the plan for Jesus to come here on this earth and to provide for us exactly what we need. When we turn to the book of Ruth, and I encourage you to take your Bibles and to turn there this morning with me. When we look at the book of Ruth, it is just yet another reminder that God was working hundreds of years ago to bring forth this one that we identify as our Savior. In the book of Ruth, we see the worst of times, and yet we see the best of times. The worst of times, I mean, it is dark. When you open the little book of Ruth and you start reading, you almost want to just close it because it is so dark and depressing. I mean, how many people just want to begin reading about all the tragedies of other people? You, you and I, we have enough tragedies in our lives, right? I don't care necessarily to read all about everybody else's tragedy, but when you come to the book of Ruth and you see the tragedy and the darkness and the worst of times in this family's life, you are then reminded that it's the best of times because God is working. That's the reason this has been preserved for us. This love story is that God is working and he's working in this family's life. He's working to build a nation and to bring forth a king named David. And he's eventually working toward bringing forth this individual we call Jesus. That's why we look at Ruth. It's one of the reasons it's such great import and significance for us. But again... God working through difficult times. Warren Wearsby, the preacher of old, gave an outline of the book. And he said chapter 1 is about weeping. Again, that dark moment. And you see a lot of weeping. You see a lot of sorrow in chapter 1. You see uh, a woman named Naomi who becomes a widow herself. And then as she loses her children, she comes back to Bethlehem with one daughter-in-law. We see the tragedy, and we see how she comes back, and she says she is so empty, and she has become bitter. But in chapter 2, hope dawns. They begin to see some hope. They begin to see that God is working. How? Because as, as Warren Wiersbe says, chapter 2 is about work, and it's about how Ruth goes into the fields, and she starts gleaning, and how God is providing for her. By the way, those of you who helped me glean this week, thank you. I glean also in other weeks, not just Thanksgiving week. So just know that. Keep that in your mind as we go through this holiday season. But she goes in and God provides for her. And it just so happens, just so happens. I love these moments with God where they just so happens, it just so happens that Ruth is in the field of Boaz. Because God had directed all these things to get her exactly where she needed to be so that God could provide not just for her food, not just for what she needed daily, but also eventually, as we'll see today, for her security, for a relationship with a man named Boaz. 
See, God had shown how he was working through this whole process. Chapter 3, Wiersbe says, well, he identifies it as the time of waiting, the time of waiting. Now, I was puzzled by that a little bit because when you read chapter 3, it seems more like scheming than waiting. It's, it's, more like, it's more like how they're taking things into their own hands. But I want to maybe develop it just a little bit for you this morning. As we look at chapter 3, again, Ruth has gone into the fields of Boaz. We have found out that he is a close kin to her. In other words, he is one that should be able to step in and to redeem her from her situation. And in chapter 3, some weeks have passed, maybe a month. The barley harvest, the wheat harvest is basically complete. And you have... You have the people, the farmers, others who are gathering for the threshing process. And in the midst of this, you have this mother-in-law named Naomi who begins to scheme. Look in verse 1 of chapter 3 of the book of Ruth. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? So, Here's Naomi. She says, Ruth, don't you know that I need to help you? I I got a plan for us. You need security in your life. Now, back in chapter 1, verse 9, Naomi had looked at her daughters-in-law, and she had said to them, the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. This idea of rest and security, same kind of ideas that you would find rest, you would find security, that you would find provision. Again, Naomi, Ruth, these are widows. And in this time and age, they are some of the most vulnerable in society. They don't have really any livelihood. They don't have anything to do but gleaning. They just glean from day to day. But there needs to be some type of security. There needs to be some type of rest. And Naomi recognizes that. And what does she do? She plays matchmaker. You ever had anybody play matchmaker in your life? Your mama, your future mama-in-law? They've got, she's got a plan. She said, the best way for you to find security is for you to marry somebody. And obviously, listen, I'm convinced that Naomi had faith in God that this guy, Boaz, was the man. I, I'm convinced of that. Now, I'm going to read through the plan here. It's not a plan I would endorse. To young ladies these days. But I'm going to read through the plan. And, and I'm going to struggle with you just a little bit as I work through it. Because for years, Jewish interpreters, Christian interpreters, they, they've struggled with this passage about exactly, is it appropriate? Is it not appropriate? Some people have called it strategic righteousness, that you saw what God wanted, so you strategically plotted in that direction. Others say that This was not acceptable. Some, again, would say, well, it's tradition and custom. I'm going to struggle with you through it just a little bit, but I want you to know that here is Naomi as she is scheming, as she is trying to bring this match. She does have faith that this is the guy. She may go about it the wrong way. I think she probably does. But she is convinced that Boaz is the one that Ruth should marry. She doesn't believe that Ruth needs to look any farther. 
And I will say that there were limited options that day, right? I mean, can you imagine, Ruth, today? Farmersonly.com. I'm not sure what her personal ad would look like. Stranger to the land, actually Moabitess, used to serve the pagans, used to serve the devil. Been brought to your country, here in your country. I, I, am, I am a widow. I'm childless. I'm living with my mother-in-law, and you got to love her if you come into my family. I can't imagine. But here, again... The scheme is cooked by Naomi. And look what it says. Again, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? In verse 2, now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? Let me just stop again. Remember this idea. We're going to hit it harder here in about two or three weeks. But remember this idea in the Old Testament that when a woman, when a wife would lose her husband and she would be childless, it was typically up to the brother to come in and to marry the widow so that he could, he could continue the name of his brother and also the legacy and the family and everything else. It was called leveret marriage. That was the practice of the Old Testament. The brother would step in and marry his brother's widow so that you could continue the family. Or there was what was called the kinsman redeemer. In the book of Ruth, this word, this Hebrew word goel is used, which means kinsman redeemer. He would be the closest of kin. If there are no brothers, in this case we know there are no brothers, then it would be the closest of kin would be able to step in and to uh, marry the young lady so that he could restore her, restore the family, again, restore the land. There was a purpose and a plan. And here Naomi says, is he not our relative? Verse 2, she goes on. In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So they've been about the harvest. Now it is to the point of threshing the crop. So... What they would usually do is they would stay very close to the fields. They would find maybe uh, a hill somewhere, and maybe a rocky hill, and they would bring all of the barley and the wheat, and they would begin to thresh it. They would take like one of those, kind of like those forks, those, I know, pit, you, you know what I'm talking about, kind of something like that, pitchfork, and they would throw it up in the air so that when they would throw it, the wind would separate the kernels and the husk, and here they would be working in such a way. He said, she's, Naomi says, Boaz is going to be up on one of those hills. He's going to be there at the threshing floor. He's going to be taking care of his crop. They would stay very close to the crop during this time because they didn't want animals or thieves to somehow uh, damage what they, had, what they had produced. Well, look at the plan, the scheme, verse 3. Therefore... Wash yourself. Go take a bath. Cleanse yourself. And anoint yourself. In other words, put on like this perfumed olive oil. Put it on. Make sure that you've, you, you smell really good. Put on your best garment. This is the idea of, of a dress. 
Uh, some, have, some have even said here, and let me, let me kind of back up just a moment. Some have even said, this is an idea of taking off your clothes of mourning and putting on the clothes that would indicate that you are outside of that process of grief and now you are available. Okay? That's what it is. Because in those days they would have worn those clothes of mourning for some time. And maybe she had the clothes of mourning on still when she was in the field. We're not sure, but it just says, put on a different garment, put on that outward garment, put on that dress to say to him, you are through with the process of grieving over your husband. You are available. Now, again, did I tell you I wasn't necessarily embracing this approach? But this is what Naomi says. It says, go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. You shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. So a few weeks ago on Sunday night, I was preaching through Jonah. And uh, like some of you all, uh, every now and then, you get to reading your Bible instead of listening to what I say, right? So, which is fine. Hey, at least you're reading the Bible. You're not making your grocery pickup list at Walmart, right? Not doing that. So, my youngest daughter, who was seven at the time, had just turned eight, she was reading over in the book of Ruth. We got home. She began asking me about this story. She focused on this little part here. I count myself a student of the Word. I feel like I've been through seminary. I wouldn't say I'm a biblical scholar, but I could hold my own with some. I couldn't hold my own with her that night. <laughs> Woo! You go and you lie down at his feet. You uncover his feet and you lie down and just lay there until he wakes up. I mean, I've heard of chasing the guy before, but this is literally getting in his way. Like you're not going to give him another option right there. I say to you, I'm not totally comfortable with this scheme. Even those who have tried to justify Naomi, I believe she's getting a little ahead of God. Because remember, everything we read in the Scripture, everything is obviously true, but these individuals that we read about, they are also fallen individuals. They're sinful individuals. Just because they do something doesn't mean we mimic that, right? Look at King David. King David did a lot of great things, but he also did some things we should not do. They're just describing for us. Naomi knows. Naomi knows. Naomi knows that Boaz is the guy. But I think there's a little scheming for security here. And I think you and I need to be very careful about scheming for security. Of coming up with our own schemes. Some of you say, well, I know exactly what God wants. And that's awesome. And there are times, there are times as he directs us and he guides us that we ought to step up and do what we should do. But there are other times we need to stop and allow him to fulfill his purpose and his plan in his own way. I'm afraid that she put, she possibly 
put Ruth at risk. Again, some would say, oh, no, that she knew Boaz, she knew the character. And yes, thank God of his character. But I'm not sure God needed to be helped out here. I'm struggling with it, I'll tell you. But it's a scheming for security. And you and I need to be very careful in our schemes. There are times we need to just let God be God and allow him to work in, our own, in his own time, in his own way. And yet here, there is a rush, there's a push. Because you want security in your life. You want rest. All of us want some type of security. All of us want some type of rest. And that is the reason we scheme in such ways. Well, verse 6 says, well, verse 5 said, And she said to her, All that you say to me I will do. So Ruth says, Naomi, I will do what you tell me to do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. So she fulfills the plan, the scheme. Now, try to read this verse 8 with an open mind, okay? Try to read it as though you have never read it before. Verse 8. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled. I bet he was. You're out on a hill. You're out toward the fields. All of a sudden, you begin to move around just a little bit. Maybe your feet are somewhat cold because they've been uncovered. And, but at the same time, you, you start to feel something there. You're thinking to yourself, what is that? Has that dog crawled back up in bed with me? Has a cat? No, you would never have a cat anywhere around. What is this? There's something... It's dark. There are no street lights. There are no lights to just flip on. What is this? It says the man was startled. I love the way Scripture just gives it to us like this. Oh, let me say this. Another thing I love about the Word of God is true because, because you would have tried to conceal some of this stuff. If I were writing it, I probably wouldn't put this part of the story in. But the Scripture's just real with you. They show you all the, all the difficulties of the characters, all the things that they've got. He was startled and turned himself. And there, you just love that, and there, behold, a woman was lying at his feet. Now, I, I'm sure again that he's taken off guard. Unfortunately, in this day and time, remember this is the time of the judges, which is a dark time in the life of the nation, there were those who were prostitutes that would come to the fields and they would uh, make their presence known with the workers who were there. And perhaps he was concerned. He didn't know what was happening. And he said, who are you? And so she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. We're going to come back to this a little more in a few minutes, but take your maidservant under your wing. Uh, some of your translations may some, say something like, 
cover me with your garment. The idea is that you are the close relative. You are the close relative. You are the kinsman redeemer. I know who you are. You should know who you are. God has called you to take care of me and provide for me security. Cover me with your garment. This idea of cover me with your garment is the same idea as I need a ring on my finger. That's what it is. It's a proposal. She is proposing to him. You remember when you proposed to your spouse? Do you remember that? Wasn't anything like this, was it? You remember? December 12, 1997, right, Les? I think. I think that's right. We, uh, we had gone to downtown Tupelo. Christmas was in full swing, the Christmas season, just as we are in now. And we took a little carriage ride. Isn't that romantic? You didn't know I had it in me, didn't you? We were in a carriage ride, horse-drawn carriage, and we were going through the city, the town, the streets of downtown Tupelo. In the background, I kid you not, in the background was the voice of Tupelo's native son, Elvis Presley. He was singing Blue, Blue Christmas. That time, Leslie got down on her knee. I know, no, no, no. That time, I got down on my knee, and I asked Leslie to be my wife. You, you remember, and thankfully, she said yes. Many of you, you've been there for proposals. This is a proposal. This is Ruth saying, I know who you are. The way our culture is, the way our law is, you are the one who can make a difference. You are the one who is supposed to be my husband. Verse 10, and then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I'll do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Boaz says, I didn't really think I had a chance with you. That's really what he says. I thought you'd go after the other young guys. This is indication that Boaz is an older guy, wealthy guy, but older guy. And he just assumed that he had no chance with Ruth. She was young. She was vivacious. She was virtuous. She was godly. And maybe Naomi realized, hey, he needs a little push here. He's intimidated. He says, I didn't think I had a chance. But you are faithful one. You are virtuous. And I'll do for you what I can. Again, because you are virtuous. Oh, that word virtuous, the same word that's used in Proverbs 31 to describe the virtuous wife. So here, even though we may question why Ruth did this, remember she's still a virtuous, godly individual. He recognizes it. He recognizes it. And what should we say about Boaz? How honorable is he? How honorable is he? Did I tell you that this again occurred during the time of ju the judges? 
a few weeks ago, we talked about the time of Judges. What was going on? Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. That's what we're told. They did what was right in their own eyes. So in other words, there, there was so much immorality and ungodliness during the time of Judges. Doesn't this give you hope? That even though there's that type of culture that's around you that you're living in, you can still be a Boaz and be honorable? Because he didn't take advantage of her. He didn't harm her. Nor did he want to besmirch her name or reputation. Because as you read through, it says, verse 12, Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there's a relative closer than I. Stay this night. In the morning it shall be that it, he will perform the duty of a close relative for you. Good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I'll perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize her. He doesn't call her out. As a matter of fact, it said, he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. In other words, I don't want to harm your reputation and who you are. You see this? Man, we, we, can I just say this? We need more guys like this. We need more honorable guys like this. I'm going to tell you, if you had this many Boazes in our culture, you wouldn't have a Me Too movement. Because he wanted to protect her her reputation. He didn't want to harm her physically or do anything that would take away from who she was. And not only that, he recognizes the law. And he says, you know what? There's somebody closer. I know the family tree. I, I've done all the genealogy studies. I know that there's somebody that actually has more of a right to marry you than I do. And instead of Boaz saying, I'm just going to marry you now, he said, I got to make sure this is right. Man, I love it. All the scheming of Naomi, all the trying to get ahead of God, all those things, well, it's nothing compared to God just saying, hey, I'm going to fulfill my plan because I've got an honorable man named Boaz that's going to provide security and rest. For you. He was honorable in his conduct. And look at, look at the rest of this. It says, um, verse 15, he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. And then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Boaz had gotten a message. He said, I'm giving you this six ephah. Again, it's so hard to determine how much that was, uh, especially by today's measurement. At the, a conservative estimate, 18 to 30 pounds of produce that he gave her to take back. She comes back and says, you show your mother-in-law. In other words, you tell the matchmaker the match is made. This is her answer. Don't go empty-handed to her. Do you remember when Naomi came back to Bethlehem? What did she say? I left full, but I've returned empty. 
And she was empty. She was physically empty, drained. She didn't have anything. She was emotionally and mentally, after all the pain and all the death and all the tragedy. And now, it's kind of like God is using Boaz to speak into her life and say, hey, 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 you're not empty anymore. I'm providing for you. Your life should be full. You should sense this of what I am doing. It's incredible. It's incredible the way God is working. It's incredible that the Honorable Boaz doesn't say, hey, this is an opportunity instead of recognizing that it's a temptation. It's a, an amazing backdrop of seeing how God is providing security and rest. Just this one verse, though, verse 18. Then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. See, this is the waiting. She was scheming at the first part of the chapter. She is sitting in the final verse of the chapter. She was scheming for security, and now she's sitting still waiting for that security. I love this picture. When you know that God has provided the security, you don't have to just keep running after it. All you know is you just got to sit and you just got to wait and allow him to bring that rest and security. My daughter, just sit. Be calm for a few moments. It's the idea of be still and know that he's God. How many times do we need to hear that one? That he's going to take care of us. That he's got a plan. That he's got a purpose. Oh, back to verse 9. Take your maidservant under your wing. Would you cover me with your... I don't know if you remember this in the story, but in chapter 2, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz talks to Ruth and he says, The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Boaz had said to her, you have come to God, you have come under his wings for refuge and rest and security. When Ruth is talking to Boaz that night, what does she say? She says, you know what? God has appointed you to be the wings that I need in my life to cover me, the security. God is using you to show me his protection and his presence. I love the image of the wings, how it communicates protection. You see it all throughout Scripture, Psalm 36, 7, Psalm 57, 1, Psalm 91, 1 through 4, and really the whole psalm, but let me just read those four verses. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Under his wings 
his feathers covering protection. Well, it could be the wings of a mighty eagle that it's speaking about, of being able to gather under and seeking the protection. Of course, again, I come from North Mississippi, so you know there's some country boy in me. And years ago, as I would go out to my grandparents, they would have chickens. They would just run free. You would see them sometimes, the, little, the hens with the little chicks coming around. Oh, it was a lovely sight. My little sister, four years younger than me, she always enjoyed watching them. One day I told her, I said, hey, you love those little chicks? And she said, yes, I love those little chicks. I said, you ought to go grab one of those little chicks. That's before I was saved. I'm going to go grab one of those little chicks. She'll tell you to this day, that was one of the most frightening experiences of her life. She grabbed or tried to grab one of those little chicks. That hen just turned directly on her. Because that's what a mama does, especially a mama hen, right? Let me tell you this. When you come under the wings of God the Father, you come under His protection and His security and His rest. Even when you've gone through the greatest tragedies of your life, even when you've experienced death and you've seen famine in different areas of your life, let me just tell you, when you come under the wings of the Father, the Father protects you. The Father is there to, He is there to speak for you. It is under the Father's wings that you find true protection and refuge and security. There may be others He will use, but you don't miss it. Those are His wings covering you. It's His presence. I love looking at the Old Testament and seeing this description of the Holy of the Holies, and there the Ark of the Covenant. And it says on the Ark of the Covenant you have these cherubim, these angelic figures, and their wings are extended. When I think of being, coming under the wings, when you would come into that holy of holies, you would come under the very presence of God as well. And I say to you that when you come under the wings of the Father, there is protection and there is His presence. I love having folks with me. I'm one of these guys I don't like to be alone. When I go to the hospital, I like somebody to be with me, drive me, do whatever, so I can work. I just like having people around. But how awesome is it to know that you have God present with you in every circumstance, in every situation? When you're in Moab grieving for your loss, when you're in the fields gleaning for your very livelihood, you can know the power and the presence of His wings. He's there with you. Those of us who are saved, how we should delight in that. And what I would say to you today, if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to come and allow Him to spread His wings over you. Isn't this a great story that God can take Ruth, a Moabitess, the individual that's outside of the commonwealth of Israel, and bring her into the family? Matthew chapter 1, she's going to be one of the only four ladies mentioned 
in the genealogy of Jesus because he brought her under his wings. I say to you, he wants to bring you under his wings and bring you to salvation if you'll come, give your life to him. You remember Jesus standing there on the Mount of Olives just across that valley? And he looks over and he sees the city of Jerusalem. And he says to them, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I would gather you, how I would gather you as a hen would gather her chicks and bring you under my wings. I say to you that God still looks at us and says, Oh, how I would gather you if you would come, if you would yield yourself and submit yourself. There are many of us who are saved in this place and they're in the gathering. But friends, I want you to know that His wings still extend over us when we're saved, when we're troubled, when we're weary. Listen to the words of Jesus. Come to me, all ye who are weary, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I say to you, there are some of you today that are laboring. Oh, you're believers, but you're laboring. You're, you're, you're struggling. You're troubled. Come and find security and rest in him. A Moabitess named Ruth found rest, was covered by his wings. I guarantee you, if you'll submit yourself to him, you can find that same security and rest today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this day. God, thank you for bringing us into your family. God, thank you For those of us in this place who are lost, but now we are saved, thank you for providing protection and presence in who we are. God, this morning, if there's one that is lost, either here in the sanctuary, there in that gathering, God, would you speak in a clear, distinctive way and allow them to come and give their lives to you. God, there's some of us in here who are saved, but God, we're struggling, we're troubled. God, extend your wings and allow them to know the comfort that comes through knowing you. Lord, we praise you and we ask now for your work during this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?